Welcome to my Neon Show. Modern Neon Show, it's Max. I'm with Garrett Daniels. Thanks for joining. No problem. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks. Um, so, Garrett, you, I pretty much ask everybody the same question when they start out. Um, where did you find Neon? So, I found Neon through my father, Roger Daniels. Um, my dad got started doing neon in the early 1980s when he moved from Hanford, California to Sonoma County and got, um, he got connected with a guy that he was doing contracting work with. And, uh, that man, Glenn Surchuk went back East somewhere, I think in Chicago to take some classes on uh, doing neon work. And when he came back to Sonoma County, uh, he kind of taught my dad how to do it. And then uh, they started a company and did things around the Bay Area. And sort of shortly after that, they kind of split ways. And my dad started working around at different shops um, in like Northern California and Reno was mm -hmm. one of the places that he landed, but then eventually, um, landed at, um, in Stockton, California, working for, uh, at art sign company or the at art sign corporation who's, they're still kind of around, um, I think throughout California, but he was working for them in the early 1990s when, <clears throat> they did a lot of the big renovations in Las Vegas and um, when they worked on stuff for Disneyland during, mm -hmm. um, for like Tomorrowland. I don't know if you're familiar or if you've ever been to Disneyland, but they did a bunch of the um, stuff down there when they kind of renovated things. Um, and so that was the, early to mid 1990s and I was born in 1992 and kind of grew up in my dad's shop once he quit working for Adar and started on his own trip of just working as like a freelance glass bender for um, kind of just any corporate sign shop and, and independent work throughout the Central Valley of California and the Bay Area. It's a really cool story. And, you know, separating, was it, I guess, I never had anybody on the show who's kind of grown up in like a neon environment. Had you always sort of separated the work from just sort of what family life looks like? Or was it just practical because it's always around you and you just, you know, there's really no sort of clean split between the two? Has it kind of influenced you as an artist? Yeah, I think that that kind of hits the nail on the head there is that there's, because my dad was um, working for himself. Um, like when we would get out of school, me and my brother, like we would just go over to his shop and kind of hang out. And he was there, you know, whatever, eight to five every day, sometimes even longer. And um, <clears throat> just to sort of keep us busy and so that we weren't annoying him, like he'd have us working on stuff. So we were taking apart like beer signs or, you know, cutting apart, uh, just cutting apart things or, or putting things together to help like assemble so that he could 
get like production out because he was mostly just working for himself like at a certain point in time uh he had a couple of employees but um that was like right before the economy really tanked Mm -hmm. and then he wasn't able to have employees and uh just sort of had to take it on a lot of the work on his own so we were um my brother and i were there to really help out and just kind of like do business with him Mm -hmm. um and so i guess like the like separation sort of never really came because everything was i think just like the the work was so ingrained in like our everyday life and even at a certain point um like i was mentioning the the economy going under um there was a spot where we dad was still like running his business but we weren't able to really afford to have like a place to live anymore and we had to keep the shop running and so in like 2009 him and my brother and myself moved into the shop so that we could kind of like keep the business running and while me and my brother were still in school and like trying to have like an alternative place to live and keep everything afloat you know yeah and i think you know sort of entering that sort of uh, next phase of the business. I mean, it's really interesting to see sort of what if it, what that process would look like. I think probably inspired you as sort of a, like an idea person, you know, when artists kind of think about this, kind of how am I going to get it all done? Uh, you know, I think it's kind of a direct uh, phase of all of that. Like, I think there's a lot of sort of unhappy artists, but I think the ones that really do really well are just sort of, you know, combine uh, you know, different types of, of working methods. Um, you know, even though it might be easier to hire outside help, it's not always possible for a lot of neon artists because, you know, let's face it, it's like, it's, it's not, uh, you know, maybe not feasible or, you know, just creates this illusion of success where I think a lot, there are a lot of sort of one man shows out there who are, you know, like bending and pumping and, and installing and doing all of that and look forward to working with, um, not only just family members, but just it just brought up thoughts of, you know, how to sort of just dust yourself off and uh, really kind of change uh, the way you work, you know, just by the nature of what's going on in the business, similar to mm-hmm. like, how you would, I guess, just sense a big project's coming up and you really need to like hit a certain deadline or like learning from other masters who are obviously good at like maybe metal work versus like the feasibility of doing this installation all by yourself and you really need someone to kind of uh, pursue that with you to kind of help you in their usefulness and and kind of looking for that kind of ultimately that last word to kind of at least pull you in, you know, to the finish line. And I'm sure that kind of resonates for you in some ways. Has it always kind of, was there like a snowball effect where you said, you know, Hey, I I know so much about neon. I'm going to just put it in my art. Or was that always kind of something you had in the back of your head? Well, I, I mean, yes and no i think as like a visual artist i i tend to lean more towards uh just like sculpture in general and sometimes neon will um make its way into my work but i think that i also um i do this weird thing where i try to not necessarily incorporate it into my own work because i think that it's also something that i find um maybe not like easy 
but something that I don't necessarily need to add as a material to my work. And so I kind of find myself lending a hand to be like skilled labor or skilled help for installation of other people's work. Um, so I do like a lot of work for uh, Merrill Pataki out here in the Bay Area. And so I've designed a couple of like installations for her work uh, to go in like Kaiser Permanente. And we did like <clears throat> a few other installations at some like pop-up places, um, like a few galleries in San Francisco and, and Napa. And um, I, did, uh, I did a lot of the installation for the She Bends show Mm -hmm. That was uh, Meryl curated. And I think you had a couple of the other artists um, on your show before, like uh, uh, Eve Hoyt. And um, there was a, there was another woman that was on your show, I think, but I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Um, so I, I guess I, m more than just putting like neon into my own work, I find myself like as an installer, uh, for other people's stuff, specifically like neon artwork, not just like signage. You know, I think that the sign background that I grew up around with my dad um, offered a lot of like problem solving techniques for like very specific types of installation. I think like there's, there's only so many ways that you can install signage, you know, but there's always, you're always having to troubleshoot on the site. And I think that that's like the really fascinating thing about an installation itself is actually really figuring it out once it comes down to it. Cause you can go and like scout a site where you're going to put something up and then, you know, you're halfway through your installation and all of a sudden there's, you know, some, some unforeseen thing that you have to get through and like you don't have time to like wait to have somebody else out there to figure it out for you you know mm -hmm. um so i think that i guess i don't know if i'm trailing too far away from your question but um i think you like the it. problem solving thing definitely came as like a part of like growing up around the work yeah, and, and kind of getting into the creation of it too as well. I think, you know, working and we had Kate Hosh on the show and you and Casey Lees was also on the show. These were mm -hmm. also people in uh She Bends and with Merrill, I think, you know, you worked alongside a lot of different neon artists. Has that process, like you said, when it comes to installing neon at that scale, uh, do you approach each installation a little differently, like with each one, or you kind of know like, hey, I know it's gonna be kind of just something I got to kind of figure out along the way. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I, I understand the basics, you know, like a, a neon or like a cold cathode tube is only going to work in kind of one way. And it's worked the same way for the past hundred years, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think like you go in with this base knowledge of how the like units will work or wire um, and like kind of, correspond within their own piece but then i think you're also like once you get past that like you said like working with like casey's work casey's work is like like pretty like gestural and like super like installation based 
And so like the work that I installed for her was like all of these like kind of teardrops that were hung from monofilament up in the rafters of this space. And like, that was one. And then going and installing like, <clears throat> maybe like an Olivia steel, steel piece that was just like neon directly mounted onto the wall or um, like Kate Hush's were like kind of pre-assembled on a dead frame. And then they would, they would also be mounted directly on the wall, but instead of having to like follow a pattern that was mounted on the wall and then like putting all your tube supports on and then putting the glass on, you kind of had this like pre-assembled unit that just sort of went straight on and you just had to measure it out to be even on the wall, you know? So it's, I guess you kind of just like, you don't really figure, you go in with a plan, but you still kind of have to figure it out as you go. Like, I guess yeah. the 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 harder thing um, for I guess like an example of a really crazy one that I did that was more than just like working with like neon art, but it was like working with actual like signage. But we did work with a with a neon artist um, named Waku, and he was working out of Brooklyn Glass, and he was contracted by Uniqlo to do this like really large scale neon sign and they needed uh, an installer on the West coast because it was supposed to be installed in San Francisco. And so then that sort of like fell onto me. And what I had to do then was because like me and my dad's shop wasn't at the production scale of being able to manufacture a sign as large as they needed to be. So there was, like three elevations and two of them were these like nine foot by 12 foot signs that were supposed to be mounted on clear acrylic and then hung like 15 feet in the air and there was no way that we were going to get like our shop is in stockton california and that's yeah. 85 miles east of san francisco wow so if we were to like put it all together it would have had to get like built and then disassembled and then driven to san francisco and then like reassembled and so wow kind of like the problem solving part and like the figuring out part came from like me working with a local fabricator um to actually like i rented part of their shop to actually assemble these signs that like had never actually like been actualized like all the glass was bent and shipped from New York to San Francisco. And then it had to be all put together just based on like drawings and patterns that I had printed out. And <laughs> yeah. then once, <laughs> and then once they were built, then taken apart and taken to the site to be reassembled and then hung in the air and then having all the glass put back on there. But the, like the most troubling part was that the the signs were hung on i guess like the main floor and all of the power supplies and the electricity had to be run to the floor above that and everything <laughs> ran down so like i had to like put holes through this like dropped floor under where all these mannequins were at one point in time and then like all of this stuff had to be removed and then I had to like drill through these through the subfloor to get down to the next level. But then under this next level was um, 
all of this like machinery that was put there so that the mannequins would be on motors to spin and like so it just turned into this like really crazy thing when i went to go like scout the site the first time in like january you know they were like oh yeah all this stuff is going to be taken out and you know this will be ready for you to do this and like da 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 and you'll just have to go in and i was like all right yeah you know like me and a couple people it'll only take like three days to do super yeah. easy and then it just ended up being like two it was like two solid weeks of like putting everything together and like trying to like troubleshoot getting through this like floor to the next level so that we can run um flexible conduit down so that we can run all the high voltage leads to the sign and it was crazy it was um one of the signs had 10 transformers and the other one had 12 like 1530s it was insane yeah, it's it's remarkable, I think, to me, considering I mean just the intensity of some some of these installs and I think there's other artists that listen to the show, but there are other people that just listen to it because they enjoy just the nature of, of knowing and learning more about neon. But you know, there's huge ups and huge downswings to to just installing neon, or oh, just holding it or handling it or whatever it is. But I'm always fascinated by sort of the uniqueness of each different job that comes about. And these are, are really large scale. Obviously they're, like I said, the, the realization happened in New York, uh, transported to, you know, obviously San Francisco to, to really get this, this complete vision across, you know, mm-hmm. with that consistency and all those variables, you know, what role did the internet play in all this? I mean, it sounds like you probably had connections. Yes. I mean, our, the initial connection actually came from, um, Waku contacting Meryl on Instagram. If she had an installer here in the Bay area and passed my number on. And then there was like kind of like phone calls from, you know, the West coast to the East coast. But, um, after, you know, and a lot of emails back and forth because we were also talking to like corporate, but then I think I think the internet did play a big role in our communication because also like Waku at one point in time had to go back to Japan to do his work. And so then I was working with with him and then also one of the fabricators that had helped him out in New York. So I was like at a certain time, I was on like three different time zones trying to like make phone calls to troubleshoot this and like making sure that like luckily everything arrived like unbroken and I could kind of like figure it out as I went but I mean there were like a few things where it was just trying to get in contact with people to make sure that like everybody was on the same page about stuff that was like kind of really insane to be like talking to somebody that's like three hours ahead and then talking to somebody that's like 18 hours ahead (laughs) and it's like the next day but you can only talk to them you have like this three hour window between like i don't know it was like 5 p.m or i think like five six seven o'clock at night or something like that here on the west coast and then it was like early morning over there in japan and that was like the only time that we were able to really talk back and (laughs) forth and then he was talking through a translator to speak oh, wow. English because I didn't speak Japanese, unfortunately. So, oh, wow. so there's like a language of, barrier as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that there were even a few messages with like, luckily there's like Google translate. And I think that we had like kind of like translated some messages back and forth and like 
it was totally, it was a super interesting thing. It was definitely an experience. Well, I think it's really cool now that the internet's around that you can sort of document and take on some more of these kind of like elaborate tasks. When you think about what neon artists had at their disposal just like 20 years ago was sort of like whatever's in your backyard and good luck if you could figure out, you know, how to make all these things work out on the other side of the country. You know, I think that Mm -hmm. it's inspiring for other artists who want to go out and make a name for themselves in neon and just have the ability to, you know, kind of reach out because there's a lot of really good people online. I think it it just shows you the complexity, but also just the simplicity of, Mm -hmm. you know, just the the situation that started out as just people talking, you know, there are neon artists like helping each other out. And it's a really nice kind of happy ending. I'm sure there's a lot of others out there that just like kind of crack and pop, but you know, there, there's a lot that can be done. I think at that, at that level, you know, where you're kind of just like passing the baton and and working together. It's really a, a good, a good story i think you know mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons um i really enjoy your yeah. your sort of like on the opposite side of what you do like the car cramming photos of putting neon in your car on ig i think it's, <laughs> it's really uh, i don't know obviously ministers haven't seen your page yet but it's pretty much just like a, a hodgepodge of whatever's in your car at that moment and it's i guess it's relatable on so many levels like if you've been moving neon or you've gotten a chance to put it you know, nearby somewhere that you're transporting it. What are, I mean, how did the other like funny moments where you're just like, let me see what I can do with this. Or is it just like, Oh, I'm just going to take a photo right now. Like, how's that? Oh, just like how much crap I can put in my car. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's, I, I mean, we, we, we had like a, a really nice truck at a certain point in time. And when that wonderful American truck decided to not work for us anymore, we downsized to a little like Hyundai station wagon thing. And it, I kind of had this joke that it's like, it's definitely a truck, but it's not, it's like kind of like my little donkey car where, you know, I, I can put all of this material in it and it's, it's sort of, you just make it work with what you have, you know, but I mean, you still have to like, um, I don't know, like one thing, like I, I had to install like a custom rack on top, but I was able to then like fabricate a whole like four foot by eight foot glass rack that I could put on top. And I've like bombed down the highway with like, you know, a thousand feet of neon on top of it and just like <laughs> gone to like a job site, you know, and people are like, you're crazy. Like all that glass on top of your car. And it's like, I don't know, like, the worst that can happen is it's going to break, you know, like yeah. it's not going to kill somebody. There's but, a, certain, uh, a certain level of fearlessness, but then yeah. I guess it's just, it's, it's like what's practical to you is probably someone else's nightmare. Like I bet the artists are like, I would never do that. And I look at him like, why not like take it on yeah. the train? Like the I have a, <laughs> we have a, um, I don't know who coined the term, but I have a mentor over here, Bill Cannon, and I think either he said it or maybe my dad said it, but um, when you're handling glass, you have to treat it like your second child. (laughs) So you want to be like, you want to be careful with it, but don't be so careful to the point that you're like, just like so concerned that you're going to break something as soon as you touch it. It's like, you know, it's, if you if you fabricated it well or if the if the glass bender fabricated it well and all the welds are tight and and not like super like chunky like chicken scratch and stuff like that like if you put it together you know you're you're fusing all of the like 
the glass together, it's going to become a solid piece and it should be able to like kind of stay together. You know, you're not like, I don't know, just like holding like a glass bottle in your hand. It's not going to just break in your hand, but you should still like treat it with respect, but you don't have to be so like, I don't know. A lot of people are like really scared of it. I think as a material in which they should be, you know, it's, I mean, it is glass and it's also like high voltage electricity. And like when you're bending glass, it's like fire. That's like really hot, you know, 1200 degrees or whatever, yeah. you know, like it, it will definitely like mess you up if you're not careful. But that being said, you know, after you've been shocked a couple of times as a kid, you know, you kind of like, all right, like I know how that feels now, and it's not that bad. <laughs> it's true to the true to the point where you said, like, with people, there there is an excitement around it, but then there's this immediate reaction of like, I need to stay at least like five feet away from it. Yeah, which is kind of rightfully so, right? They know it's not just your everyday kind of object, but mm-hmm. I like what you said too. Is I've never heard that quote before, but I'll have to I'll have to steal that one from you. But it, yeah, just yeah. like. <laughs> just like oh you know oh shit like here's all this glass i'm like carrying around my car and then the next person looks over and just like what is this guy doing you know yeah (laughs) and i think the specialty of it is that yeah i mean you do shop for space and you kind of are hit with this like plan to move all this neon it's not like you can kind of think about it too much otherwise you're just sort of like stuck right like it's kind of that idea that if you get too kind of caught up in all of it then you're never going to do anything you know it's like too too uh, too much at stake, you know. I think mm-hmm. so. Uh, well, we- I think the thing with that also is like just just in the idea of moving itself and and kind of like working with what you have. Um, you know, I know. I think a lot of times, like people, it's it is definitely like a costly medium to work with, and also like you know, if you're selling you know neon signs like it's not like a cheap thing to have but it's also like i think the profit margin isn't super high on it either mm-hmm. and so you kind of have to work with what you have like you can't just rent like a huge flatbed trailer that's like got air ride suspension or whatever to be able to transport your huge job you know sometimes you got to like load it in the back of your pickup or your car and like drive it across town you know what i mean Right. I think that that, there's like a big thing with that as well. Like, I don't know. Well, kind of just like you said earlier is like with installations, just like what's going to get the job done. And I think I enjoy just what you do with those photos. I hope you keep doing them because, you know, they're, they're fun. I mean, they kind of get the point across that like, you know, at no point is this going to be an easy job. So you're just kind of going to, you know, take a fun photo before you get on the road, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect opportunity. You can find me on Instagram. I'm son of a sign man. Mm-hmm. And, and you, yeah, you can got check out my photos. weird photos of installations and different things that are in my life. What do you, um, you know, what do you kind of hope to do or what, what kind of projects are you working on now? It doesn't have to be neon related, but you know, what, what kind of, what do you got going on? Um, so I do actually, I'm in the works on a job that is going to incorporate neon into some of my art, um, contradictory to what I might've said earlier. (laughs) Um, so I'm, I'm designing some, um, sculptures that are going to go on a mini golf course and they're going to incorporate some neon pieces that will be safely installed behind, um, pieces of clear acrylic. 
nice. uh, so that they don't get um, broken by drunk 20 and 30 somethings with <laughs> golf clubs in their hands. <laughs> and is there like a statement on this or is it just kind of like, uh, are you a fan of golf or do you just think of? Uh, no, I got contracted to do the thing and I, I wanted to, one of the pieces is actually going to be, I don't, I don't I signed an NDA, so I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but oh, okay. <laughs> one of the pieces is going to be like, um, maybe not like a, a replica, but it's going to take some, um, like design notes from a local theater that has like a really, really wonderful marquee that's from like the deco period. And which is also like the height of a lot of really awesome neon signs in the United States. Um, and so I was kind of like replicating that in a smaller scale and then incorporating neon into it so that it would have like the swoops and the curves of, and like colors of this, this deco period theater. That's awesome. And uh, you know, there's other objects that you've done too, like the, the shopping cart. Like it's kind of like mm-hmm. a figure, like a, a, a type of a symbol in your in your work. It's kind of made that out of neon, I think, as well. I saw mine. Uh, so no, I um, I do I do sculptural work with shopping carts um, as part of like a kind of like a, a I have a social practice piece that I do that encourages people to donate items for the homeless. Um, or houseless folks and then those items are redistributed but there's a really awesome um, glass bender named Shauna Peterson out of Oakland and she does a lot of um, in her her, she's a glass bender uh, or she's a sign maker in the in that area but she does a lot of her own just like many of the glass benders I think that like do corporate work, but then also do their own artwork. She does um, stuff relating to kind of like the working class. And um, I guess like, I don't know if it would be like street experience in like Oakland, California. Um, So she's lived there for a bunch of years. And I think that that's like a, a symbol that she recreates in her work. So one of the photos that I had posted was a, a, a piece of a man standing next to a shopping cart that I installed for her at an art show. Actually. Oh, Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she's great. She comes up. It's funny. She came up just in the last show that we just recorded. So there must be some sort of <laughs> <laughs> serendipitous. Something in the <laughs> um, yeah. There's a lot that I think goes into sort of decision-making where you're like, what do I want to do when it comes to making art on the end versus just the commercial aspect of it? And they kind of, I'm sure there's some that some of that feeds into it, just expertise, obviously. Um, but I like the idea of like kind of using neon as a as a vehicle to like do good in the community. I think it brings a lot of people a lot of uh, sort of hope. At least the idea that you know there can be something that can be you know, lit up, and and obviously an object that's in the community that helps represent a certain place that's notable. Or you know, I'm sure you've seen different things kind of growing up around neon that. It kind of di- does different things for different people. Do you think about it in that way, or is it just kind of what, whatever you're working on that day? No, definitely. I think wherever I go, it's uh, the first thing that I'll notice is the signs. But I th- also think that a lot of people like the first thing that they notice about like, whether it be like Main Street America or you know like their little neighborhood, 
you know market or something like that if it's if it's of a certain era it's going to have like a really awesome neon sign from back in the day because i think that that was at a certain point in time it was a, a huge point of pride to have like oh like i got this like really nice sign for my store my shop and then it becomes like you said like kind of a beacon in a neighborhood mm-hmm. um so I, I definitely find myself like drawn to like cool older things like that or something that's like I don't know just I I like I like fun interesting thing ones too you know like on the side of the road you always find like psychics psychic signs like so there'll be like a palm reader or like okay. something yeah. so it's I don't know it's there's kind of like these like cliche ones um but I definitely like I think there's I, I think you talked to a woman on, on one of your other shows too, that's like documenting them, but there's like this huge community of people that are just like sign chasers here right. that are like kind of documenting like route 66 and other places that are just like go to these things and like try to talk to the owners and like figure out like the history of the sign and, and like where it came from, because I think there is like a, a nostalgia to it, you know, whether it's, you know, I don't know how old you are, but like a lot of people that grew up, you know, and their parents are from like the baby boomer generation or something, you know, and everybody grew up around like that, like getting in the car and then like driving on the highway. And then like everything that you saw was just like these huge neon signs because everybody needed to be brighter than the, the next person on the block. Yeah. You know, cause you were always trying to like your advertisement. Um, so I think that like people do like generally people just have a nostalgia for it and will remember it. And, I think it's always like constantly trying to be replicated as well. And you can even see that with like the weird, like plastic flex led things that they're trying to put out. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, like this is neon and, and people like totally buy that shit and like, love it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even like, I don't know. There's, there's definitely like, it's kind of a bummer that somebody doesn't want to actually like support a, like, you know, like I would, I would rather have somebody like, support a local shop like me and my dad's or you know a sign vendor like shauna or bilkin cannon you know Mm -hmm. but i think people are still definitely still looking for that and trying to find it in the most affordable way as possible even if it's some like piece of crap made in china you know (laughs) (laughs) i think some variation of that too i think you know, sort of the market developed what it was for the LED stuff. Um, I think supporting the movement, the local artist movement, and especially the community that's online is to just say, don't call it neon. I would 100% agree with that. I do back that as well. I think mm-hmm. where kind of the confusion is, is that, you know, just sort of neon makers having to do a better job of just explaining themselves. But then again, that's that's difficult to do when, you know, people just don't really have a sense of what's going on. So you know, I think it, it, but they do take a lot of pride, especially the ones that are in New York. People that buy signs here uh, are are very much uh, demanding neon. I think it's the idea that what started here is kind of what came before. It isn't better or after it isn't necessarily better. Um, mm-hmm. And you can you can sort of see it very closely in sort of the makers communities that are out there. We know mm-hmm. we know for a fact that people are going to more of these types of things and learning for themselves what it's like by taking. That's why I have such an affinity for people in the on makers who have their own courses, who basically mm-hmm. do educating on the side for as far as just not only the future of what's going on with neon, but it's basically a nice way to 
just help people understand what what decision making happens in neon how difficult it can be but also just what goes into the art form itself you know where you're not just struggling to get the point across that it's better than led but you know just by the nature of doing you you now have a feeling for what goes on and it just makes sense you know it mm-hmm. just kind of brings people closer to uh you know the product that they're going to buy or maybe in mm-hmm. the future so i think that's a good way to look at it. at least that's how i try to reason it um in my head but um yeah back to what you said is they I, being a part of that generation that kind of saw all these signs and then kind of slowly getting pulled away. I think it's also taught the newer generation that, you know, there's, there was nothing wrong with it. It just ended up kind of slowly kind of being cleansed from the, you know, the broken signs got removed and then, then we got awnings, you know, or something, you know, or like plastic facades, even worse than that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, I, I think know, that a lot of that falls even beyond like the, you know, the sign bender, the glass bender, like even, you know, the metal worker, like I've, the metal worker, the, the sign painter, you know, there was like a lot of these like handmade, hand done things. Um, and they were kind of taken away. And I think a lot of the blame falls onto like maybe just the general sign industry or just the industry itself. And like some salesperson, right. Who's kind of like looking to turn a buck and is in like, maybe like is the middleman between like a sign shop and a client and they're like oh well you have that old sign but now there's this new product out and it's leds or now there's this new product out and it's like plastic face signs with fluorescent tubes behind them because they're more efficient or like this and this and this you know Mm -hmm. there's always some like pick your sales pitch where you were sold something that would and you were told that it was better and the reality is that it's super untested and nobody really knows if it is better or it's not or like the efficiency compared is negligible or you know where was you know how did they manufacture that type of thing Mm -hmm. you know like where did they get all the products to put all of those like electronic boards together or like where's the you know all these heavy metals like mined from and things like that like i think beyond looking at the efficiency of a product it's like looking at the like what had to be extracted to make it or like where the labor came from you know like i think in our industry in the neon industry i guess is like a lot of the stuff is you know where like the glass is like manufactured and made in like italy and like a lot of the you know i guess the electronic power supplies now and and things like that are like kind of made in china which is sort of funky but back in the day you know like a magnetic transformer like things were built like back east and like the rust belt you know and like there were like places that were just like putting these things together and like all the products were sourced in like places that were either like union shops or places where the labor was like you knew where the labor was coming from there was like kind of no question about it Mm -hmm. and i think with a lot of the stuff now you kind of just don't really know and like even the the cost of like where like what the chemicals came from like anything that's made out of plastic is made out it's a petrochemical you know so you're pulling this oil from the earth you're extracting these these 
things and then turning it into this other thing. And so like all the byproducts then are like either going into the air or like spilling or whatever. I don't know. There's, there's so much like awful shit that happens when, when new things are, are made and <clears throat> people don't really know kind of like where exactly it's coming from. Yeah. And I think that was you know, a rant. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a good rant. I think, you know, when you go to direct to source, like when you pick the right people and you sort of fast forward the learning process and we go back to something that's, you know, shamelessly good. I don't think it's, it's bad to say those things. I think circumstance is what it is. Um, we can learn from what the underlying principles are of why things are being copycatted here and there. Um, I just, you know, I don't fret over that. I think, you know, kind of looking at one over the other. Um, but yeah, just living with uh, the neon that we have now, we can really kind of say to ourselves, okay, this magical moment where we, you know, it's been turned on, it's lasted for this long, yada, yada, yada. But I get it. There's a nightmare in that as well. Um, I wouldn't advise anybody to just increase their guarantee of what they can and can't do. I just think, you know, you should move on. And I think usually, like I said, neon's been okay for many years um, as just, you know, a, a, you know, a, a lighting platform. Um, it does so much. So yeah, I mean, just since it's, since we're just, you know, here to talk about neon, but I think it's, it's good not to be, you know, like I said, so sure of everything else that's happening. You, know, you just kind of follow your own itch and just uh, do your thing. But yeah, putting artistic vision, into what happens you know, the creativity is what really makes it work right you know um, for mm -hmm. all the right reasons you know we look at a lot of other neon signs and i've had people on there like you know all the bar signs and that really bothers me or the next person loves just you know the <laughs> you know the you know the verb verbal kind of signage where it embraces the kind of the quirky elements of pop culture and maybe they'll see it over and over again say the same sign over and over on instagram but um but yeah, when you do kind of these projects for yourself, you've got, um, I think you're probably in, in galleries, right? You know, when you're making your work. I, I yeah, I do, I do show in some galleries here and there. I would definitely say that I'm not like, what do you mean? So in my work in general or when I'm working for other uh, people? Just like for your own, like your own, um, like I guess work that's coming out, you know, you're probably preparing for certain shows and stuff while you're doing um, your kind of installation projects along the way yeah i mean i guess my you know my my main my main job in life has been like running the neon shop with my dad um cr glow neon and then as like in the past maybe like two or three years i've been doing a lot of like just more freelance stuff on my own and being contracted out to do like my dad's a glass vendor. He doesn't want to go out and do installations, you know, and what I've kind of gotten better at and gotten good at is doing installations of these things for other people, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then also like becoming a little bit more specialized into working in like being an artist, like working in and around like galleries and museums. So my like day jobs mostly consist of like, working with my old man or working at this museum kind of like near where I live in, in Sacramento now um, or like freelancing for galleries and then kind of doing my own work on the side. Like I, I just had a show, but 
like I'm probably not going to be putting anything together for another art show of my own anytime soon. I think I need to like focus a lot more on like this other like freelance work and just kind of like paying the bills, you know, right. Just like most of the other, like, I don't know, I guess like people who work with neon itself is just kind of like figuring out how to make it work for yourself, you know? And I think you've kept your ambitions pretty high too. I think, you know, when you see just what you've done, like in, in conjunction with all of that, it's a lot to sort of, obviously you're trying to validate your own vision, but you know, knowing when to kind of move on from project to project, it seems like, you know, you're working on several different things. Um, I think you probably find that pretty satisfying. I think a lot of ours would really love to achieve that. So I think this is a, kind of a great moment to kind of end on, but is there yeah. anything else people can find your work? We talked about Instagram, um, your dad shop, CR glow, uh, anything else you want to hit on? I would just say in the, in that ending is to diversify the things that you do. You know, I think that this industry is a really great one to be in. Um, but it's also like sometimes the work can be, few and far between especially if the economy gets tough you know if if nobody's building anything nobody's buying signs so just to be able to have a diverse set of skills to be able to work in on anything but using the skills that you have to kind of like like i said problem solve um that would be kind of like a big a big thing yeah it's really good advice too uh well garrett thank you for being on the show and uh really appreciate you coming on hey thanks max for having me hey guys hope you enjoyed that show if you haven't done so please leave us a review on your podcast aggregator of choice we have a lot of great neon guests coming up and as always thanks for listening